Good morning, church. Everybody get plenty of sleep? Or were you planning on making up that hour right now? Well, do whatever you have to do. I've got people taking pictures and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff so we can get names. Uh, no, not really. Just glad you're here. Uh, what a beautiful day outside. We have a great study going on in this book of Corinthians. And so uh, uh, we're excited about the study. And I'm excited about our scripture reader. Uh, Carter, come. This man does. How do you say it? Just. Jiu-jitsu, is that right? Huh? Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, okay. If that's what you say. All right, well, look, thank you for being willing to do this. I understand you're a pretty organized guy, too, and and uh, uh, I'm, I know that uh, you'll be better at that than your daddy is, and uh, no, he's a great organizer, too. And thank you for reading Scripture for us. He's eight years old, and we're really proud of our young men and women like Carter, that, with a K, by the way, that's coming up here to read for us. So go right ahead, bro. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Thank you. Great job, young man. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. I thought you want to stay up here and just preach for me. That'd been okay too, Carter. You're never too young. You get your shot. You betcha. Uh, also want to remind you of our uh, what we're doing in the Ukraine. Some of you uh, may be aware that we're raising money to help the brothers and sisters over there. I've been in contact with uh, uh, a brother that has been living over there till. December, Kenny Payne. Kenny uh, was there when uh, Mike Williams and Jason and I went years ago to the Ukraine and did some work. And he's been over there ever since doing work. Uh, he's still able to get money into his uh, congregation, into his church there uh, in Kiev, even though it's obviously dire situations there with the war. Uh, and they're taking care. Some of his members have fled to the western part of the country where it's where it's safer and so just remember those brothers and sisters also uh there's a great work going on with the church uh in um in poland uh molly davido uh we've worked with the davido family years ago in poland and they've helped uh, open up a building their church facilities and other places they find to put together beds and provide housing for folks uh, coming out of the ukraine that uh uh, have escaped through Poland and provide food and necessary uh, things there. And so a lot going on there. We're, we're trying to figure out what's the best way to help and what's the best way to because obviously uh, there's a great need for that. Be sure and be in prayer for that situation, okay? I know you will. First Corinthians chapter 11. Now, the church here in Corinthians, they got a little problem uh, you know, we've talked a lot about their problems. How would you like it? Uh, how would you like to know that ever all of our problems down the future is going to be talked about by some other church all the time? You know, 
Uh, I got to thinking about that. The, the poor brothers and sisters there. Uh, you know, the, but God, for whatever, chose to record their situation so that we could learn some things from them. So that's why we're diving into this book. So they've got some problems from the very beginning. Some are following different leaders and saying, well, I follow this guy and I follow this guy. And so there's some division there. Then they get divided over their liberties and what I can or can't do or what meat can I eat and all that kind of thing. They divide over how, uh, what, what are the, the different roles of the, uh, of, of, uh, men and women and how that dealt with some of that. And, and so there's a lot of things going on here and it carries over into their assembly. But why wouldn't it? You think about it. In our culture right now, uh, I, I think it's still true. Uh, Dave, some of you guys that keep up with stats better make help, make can help me. But I think 50% of, of, of marriages end in divorce. And so if you're going to convert people out of the world and bring them into the church, guess what happens? The mentality of I can get out of this if I don't like it. Or, you know, I can, uh, I'll just, uh, if I don't like the way uh, they used to look good, but now when they wake up, they look bad, or uh, there's uh, smells I've never seen or heard or smelled before, or whatever. I mean, whatever reason it is, you finally get up to where I don't want to really have to put up with that, so I can just bail. So, if people will splinter over those kinds of things, and they have that mentality, of when it gets tough, I'm just going to change my environment... They bring that principle of action into the church. So when broken people are rescued, if you don't get them really hooked into the gospel and change the commitment, they basically do the same thing within the family of Christ. Got it? And so that's what happened in Corinth. It's what happens to us today. And so if we're not really conscious of what, how God wants us to function, which is different than how we've been in the world, uh, then we're going to carry on the same problems. Well, they had some of that happening. So in uh, verse 17, uh, now in this, in this dealing with the Lord's Supper, remember something else that was going on in the church there is that they gathered up and they, they had a, uh, what they called a love feast, basically a potluck get together, right? And, uh, uh, and so in, in this, they would eat together. Then out of that, too, then you take, they will also take the Lord's Supper. And so they kind of get this all messed together. And yet, what should have been something that brought them fellowship and unity ended up being something that divided them. Now look what he says. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. What? He said... Matter of fact, you had the same situation with the Jewish people back in the book of Malachi where he said, God told them, said, just close the door to the temple, quit meeting. Your meetings are doing so much worse than, than, than they are good. Just, just, just shut it down. Paul said, you're gathering up just like we gather. You're gathering up, but when you gather up, it's unhealthy. It's causing harm. It's not helping. And he's going to tell them why. We're going to look at now the problem with this thing in verses 17 through 22. Let me make a statement right here to get, get us going. You can't do the brothers wrong and the table right. Got it? You can't do the brothers wrong and the table right. Let's look at what was happening. In the first place, I hear that when... 
come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. He said, man, I've been getting all these reports, and I hear a bunch of them. And you know what? I, some of it's got to be true. I mean, I, to some extent, I'm believing some of this. You've got some divisions happening. This word for division in the in Greek, it's schismatic. It means to split or to tear. It's a splintering that's taking place. You've got this tearing and cutting that's taking place within the body. It's not necessarily that they're, that might be happening. But this is you're setting yourself apart. You're tearing yourself apart. So you get alienated or isolated from each other. So they wouldn't have anything to do with the others. So they come together in the assembly, and yet they won't have anything to do with some people that are in the assembly. They create distance because of this division that they have going on. So he says you have that. And then he says you have divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. And then look at this next one. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Now, this verse always bothered me. Uh, it just didn't seem to fit for some reason. What do you mean you have to have differences to, to show God's, uh, uh, who is approved, God's approval? Well, division sounds worse than differences, doesn't it? Right? And this is where we kind of get off track here with the English translation. Because this word for difference, are you listening? This word for difference is the word heresis. It's where we get the word heresy. It's, it has to do with doctrinal beliefs that are wrong that go against the gospel. Not only do they have the splittering and isolating from each other, they also have some doctrinal problems, some heresies that have riven up. But he says, you're going to have those. As a matter of fact, when you have them, they're in necessity because as they come up, it's going to show who's really approved by God. And who's that going to be? It's going to be the ones that have stayed solid on the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's who's going to be approved. That word approved, uh, diakimos, it means stamped. And so that's who's been stamped. You're stamped by the gospel. The gospel stamped on our hearts and our minds. When we take the Lord's Supper, as we're kind of, we're saying again, stamp that story on my heart. When we're baptized into Christ, it's, that's, that's the image it is that we're being buried into his death, burial, and resurrection, raised to live a new life. And so this thing of being approved by God, that when someone comes up and all they talk about is something that takes you away from that, that's a very serious thing. And those kind of men, Paul warned every church he wrote to about this. He warned if, in, in the book of Acts when he left the Ephesian elders, he warned them. Look, there's going to be some people come up from your own folks. I've been here several years with you, Paul said. There's going to be some people from you, among you that's going to raise up and you as elders are going to have to shut them down. Because they're going to take you away from the gospel. He said the same thing in Galatians. There are going to be people coming there and they're going to preach another gospel and you can't let that happen. Then he says the same thing in Colossians. There was a heresy in the, in, in the, among the Colossians church. And he says, Christ has to stay supreme. And then when he told Timothy, he said, Timothy, you use those scriptures as someone that's approved and you rightly handle the Word of God. It's the same word here. Matter of fact, in the book, last chapter of the book of Romans, when he says about Apollos, he said he's one who's approved, he's stamped, he's been tested by God. He's solid rock. 
Later on in Timothy and, and Titus, Thessalonians, those books, he writes about the warning of false teachers coming up with doctrinal positions that go against the gospel. He says, you can't have anything to do with those. That's going to cause all kinds of havoc in the church. And it was happening in Corinth. Matter of fact, we already saw it happen in some of the uh, uh, things they were buying into with their idol worship. Some of the things that they carried over from the false uh, gods and false doctrines that they followed when they were not Christians. And now that they become Christians, some of that carried over into there and they're having to deal with it. So they've got this splintering, isolating, and then they've got this doctrinal differences that happening. And those come up, and when the one goes against the gospel, you know... Hey, it ain't from God. When people from among this church, and it'll happen in every church at some point, there'll be somebody come up that has a different doctrine that will pull people away to follow them. And they were always going to have the same story as these people did in the New Testament. Hey, we're in the know more than anybody else, and we got something good for you. Come on over here and let me really explain what the Bible really means. You've missed it all this time. Don't you do it. You stay with the gospel. This is why the table is so important, by the way. It centers people in their unity around the most important thing. The first importance, he writes later on in this book, the gospel. Amen. It's going to all come back to that. It's all going to come back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And not getting away from it. Now he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. I saw this, uh, uh, I was out at the uh, Kirby's house for a little gathering and uh, so we had prayer for the meal. And I happened to be standing over by where the line started and I saw my wife give me that look like, don't you be first in line. Now, I didn't plan it that way, but only because I didn't think of it early enough. Right? I mean, you know, right? You want to be right? I, I mean, you, you've done that at potlucks, right? You, you, you've seen who brought the food in and you know who cooks what best. Paul's laughing. You've done that, haven't you, Paul? I mean, you saw, you saw Ruthie carry that Italian cream cake in and you're like, okay, I'm getting a piece of that before everybody else gets in line. All right. Well, a subcontact, that might be okay. But here, they were having a love feast and and the ones that could afford to have food and bring it all brought it together. And originally it was supposed to be to show you care for each other. But the poor people that came didn't have anything. The others were eating everything before anybody got there. They weren't caring for one another. It was just the opposite. Look what he says. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. Now, the idea of getting drunk at church just kind of seems like a faraway thought for me. But also, I think it's not necessarily that it's an alcoholic problem. Because the idea of the word here, drunk, also can just mean that, that you know, when you're so full, you can't think straight from eating too much, right? It's that kind of idea, too. You got one brother over here. It's going hungry. You don't give him anything. Instead, you sneak over here and gorge yourself with everything before they even get there. And you don't even wait on them. 
Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? He says, this is what's happening. You're gathered up for a meal, and a part of that is you're going to end up taking the Lord's Supper because you're gathered up for that very purpose. You're eating together. And some brothers and sisters, you've got some splintering, some alienation, some isolation going on. And then the wealthy got their food all over here, and they're ready to, uh, to, to eat. And they don't wait on the poor that are coming in that don't have anything. Matter of fact, it ends up they despise them, and they humiliate them in the church family. You don't treat your brothers that way. You can't do the brothers wrong and the table right. It ought to be just the opposite. See, the very purpose of coming around the table was to display unity and love and grace, not take away from it. So he asked him another question. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Don't look for me to encourage you in this right here. You're off on the wrong road. Now, in the next few verses, he's going to tell them the solution. He's, the, he, he's, he showed the problem. Now he's going to give them the solution. And the solution is a proper look at the Lord's table. So Paul says, For what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So Paul tells them, I got what I got from the Lord. And I don't know if he got that miraculously or I don't know when he got this from the Lord, if he got it just through the other apostles. But for, for whatever reason, he says that he received it from the Lord and that what, and here's what the Lord did. And he, and it did, when he did it in history, he did it on a Thursday, gathering up the disciples, Taking the Passover, and then he takes that meal that they were eating together, and and turns it in to the Lord's Supper. And so when he does, Paul, for whatever reason, thinks it's necessary to leave this in here. Think about this, the history of it, because he says it was when. He didn't just say it was a night. Uh, uh, at the at the house, it doesn't just say it was the night you gathered up. He said it was the night that what you were betrayed. He didn't he didn't accidentally throw those words in there. This happened the night Jesus was betrayed. Jesus knew how it felt to gather around the table with people he loved. About the most important thing in life, the kingdom of God. And in the middle of it, have someone at that table who was going to betray him. Don't you understand that these brothers that are around the table in Corinth are gathered around it, fixing to take this supper when they betrayed each other by their actions, by their humiliating and by their despising. That's the idea. Look what he said. He took the bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, what you do, uh, this in remembrance of me. In the same way, in the supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant. My blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So the first thing about this, looking at the table, 
is to understand that the table looks backward. It looks back at the gospel and what God's done for us. I look back when I take this bread and I, and I take this fruit of the vine. I'm looking back at the gospel and the grace that happened at the cross for me. It's a remembering. So there's a remembrance that takes place. Now look, it's something we do together. Communion is a together thing. This is not something just between me and God. You do it as a body, as a group of people, as a family. Matter of fact, that's the whole point he's making here, is you're despising the family, so you're doing it wrong. You don't do it wrong by getting things out of line. You don't do it wrong because you take the uh, cup first and then the bread. That's not wrong. It's not about the structure of the, or the model of it. It's about the heart of it toward the brothers. You don't take it wrong because you take it on Sunday night. You don't take it wrong because you take it on Thursday night. You don't take it wrong because of those three. It's not about that. It's, you don't take it wrong because a man walks down the aisle and hands it to somebody or a woman walks down the aisle and hands it to somebody. It ain't about the structure, guys. We argued over the most silliest things because we did not understand the heart of a context on the Lord's Supper. And we missed the point. We get mad and upset because somebody didn't do it in the order we like. And guess what you just did? Now you got the attitude of these brothers that are splintering and isolating. Oh, now you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong when you accuse other people of doing it wrong in a wrong way. That's a lot of wrong right in that sentence, isn't it? (laughs) The table looks backward. He also says the table looks forward. Look what he says in verse 26. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do something. You what? Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim it until he comes. It looks forward. There's hope in the communion. There's hope in the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're saying we're a family of God, we're a forever family gathered around the Lord's table and we're going to look back and thank God for the grace that came through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and we're going to look forward and proclaim His death until He comes again because that's the only place there's hope. Death is His death is where my sin was paid for and I praise God for that. Amen. Amen. That's right. And not only that, look. His death also, not only did it defeat my sin, it defeated Satan and his demons. Death has no rule. Satan can't stand up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's power in the fact that we proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes. And what we're saying to to, to Satan and what we're saying to the demons, is here's what we're telling them. We're saying to them, go to hell. Go home. That's where you belong because death has got victory for me and I'm not headed where you're headed. I'm going in an entirely different direction by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when we, and wait, wait, you can give the Lord a hand. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. We can give the Lord a hand. So when we take communion, it is a celebration of the victory that we have because of the gospel of Christ. Not only does it look backward and look forward, but it looks inward. 
Here's what he says in the next verse. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, recognizing the body of the Lord. When you recognize something, you see something that's familiar. Okay, it's not hidden. You recognize it. Oh, there's Paul. I recognize him. What, who are they supposed to be recognizing? Not just Jesus. They recognize one another. The body of the Lord. The church is the body of the Lord. So they recognize. What have they been doing? They've been separating, alienating, isolating from each other. Instead of recognizing one another, they were isolated. He says, you examine yourself, because anyone who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak, sick, and a number have fallen asleep or have died. Man, what an interesting passage. Did you ever come into church and think, I better do this right. I don't want to end up dead today. I don't think anybody thought that. How were they weak and sick? And this is physical. They're weak and they're sick. Some have even died. Now think through this. If you've been despising poor people who are hungry and not letting them eat because you're eating everything. What's that make them? I'm just tossing this out as a possibility. Does it make them weak? If you habitually did this, could it make them sick? Could folks even die? I don't know exactly everything this verse means, but I do know this. People abused the supper, did not examine themselves, and as a result, judgment came on them. And that judgment was a physical judgment because of a spiritual problem. And you know what? When we have spiritual problems, we most of the time end up with physical judgments. You have a physical problem with them, or you have a, you have a spiritual problem with sin. You have a spiritual problem with immorality. You might end up with a AIDS, sexually transmitted disease. You have a sin problem, a spiritual problem with greed. You end up robbing and stealing. You may end up physically in jail. I don't know exactly what happened here except that Paul gives them the warning. That if you take your sin lightly in terms of recognition of the table of God and you don't take and you don't honor your brothers. There are people who actually get weak. Some get sick and some have even died because of this. Now, when this happens, he's not talking about them being lost or saved. Because look what he says the next. But if we judged ourselves, if you would instead, if you would have examined yourself, we would not come under judgment. 
When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So what he says is when these hard times come because you've messed up, take that as discipline from God. God's waking you up to say, get back on course with the gospel. Get back on course with the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Get back on course with the table that's in front of you. So you look at yourself and you make the adjustments to where God wants you to be so, so he doesn't have to discipline you. But if you don't, he will discipline you and he'll move you toward being right back with him. So you won't be condemned with the world. Because God wants you saved. He didn't want us abusing the table. He wants us to celebrate the table. Well, then he says this. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone's hungry, he he can eat at home. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. An inward look at yourself and your relationships with the forever family is a must. We are family. We are forever family. And you know, we come from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of mess-ups, but we're family. And I don't know how your family is. I... I know my family, you know, we got some, we got some uh, people in my family that's turned funny. You know, they're different. That's how my dad always referred to people that were, were he didn't see quite as normal. He said, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that, that Smith family, they're turned funny, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Margaret, I just threw out the Smith. I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking of you. Uh, in family, we all come from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of places in the world even. Races are different. History is different. Jobs are different. Talents are different. He's going to deal with all those talents and abilities in the next chapter, matter of fact, about being one body and all different kinds of, of talents and abilities. But we are family. And as family, when we meet together, we have to be sure that the voice of unity is louder than any of the small voices of division that might exist among us. We must, those that are committed to the gospel and, 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 and committed to do what God says, We must have a louder voice of love and unity that is greater than the voice of the immature among us that wants to gripe or complain about something. Those that want to splinter or isolate or cut others off. No. You see, when a church's differences get lifted up and talked about more than its purpose You run into all kinds of problems. You've been through that. I've been through that. Churches, you've been through it. Where you come to church and all all you can hear is everybody talking about some differences that somebody has and somebody wants something else. Our voices must elevate 
the message of Jesus and the unity that comes in his body. And that must be louder than any voice in the room. The gospel is what brings us together. It's what makes us family. It's what keeps us family. And it's what will take us into heaven as family. All because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So you see, as we walk out of here today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself to make sure that unity in the body of Christ is a high priority. And and I keep it high by reminding myself when we take the supper together that you are valuable. We look at our relationships. And if they're not right, go find that person and get it right. That's why we do communion together. Look, we do it every Sunday. I know different places do it different. But look, I think it's important. I think it's important to do it every Sunday. Not only do I think that was the example in the church, I just think it's important that I need nourished. I don't need to go two weeks battling sin without being nourished at the table of God. I need to know that my brothers and sisters are around me and that they give me support and encouragement. I need that nourishment that the Lord's table gives me to live right. Listen what the table gives you. Come to the table. Come to the table of mercy. It's a table of mercy. It's a table of grace. It's a table of power. It's a table of strength. It's a table of reconciliation. A table of transformation. A table of hope. A table of peace. A table of unity. A table of love. It's a table of victory. The cause of the story of Jesus. So I, I don't ever want to be a part of separating the brothers. At the table of the Lord. We're all only here by grace. We're all broken. Broken people. Gathered up by a shepherd who died for our sins. And as his children, he's got this beautiful thing called the Lord's Supper. Where you can come to the table of mercy. And you can find encouragement from the brothers and the sisters. Strength from the Holy Spirit. Nourished to go out this week and share this good news of Jesus that changed your life to other people. So it can change their life too. And may God bless this church to multiply to where we are so crowded around the table in this room and the other room and our live stream folks, we're just, it's just so crowded around. It's like a huge family reunion and we're all just celebrating the unity that we have because of the heart of Christ. God loves you. And he's given you a forever family and a table of grace. Why would I want to mess that up? Whew, a little bit of a challenge to these Corinthians. Man, I'm glad we don't ever have any problems like them. (laughs) I love you. I thank you for being patient. Listen to me today. Keep studying the, the word. I sure don't have all the answers to everything. 
But I know what the gospel is, and I'm solid there. We're going to stay on that, this church, no matter what. We're going to grow together. We'll learn together. If you're not in the forever family, then put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Be baptized into Christ and start brand new. If you've done that and something's gotten your way and you got into some of this divisive mess with the brothers and things aren't settled, get it right with the brothers. Or come down here as a church family. We'll pray and surround you and gather up. That's what families do. We gather up and pray for each other and help each other. Whatever need you have today, you can make that known while we stand and we sing this song.